Welcome to World is Burning, the storytelling podcast for your climate anxiety. I'm Olivia. And I'm Elise. And this week our stories have kind of nothing to do with each other, but I feel like by the end we will have some sort of alignment. I, um, I'm i going for a loose the star stars. theme, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a stretch, but but it's fine. It's fine. I'll take it. Um, In, impacts, yes. Impacts on the stars. Yeah. Let's go with yeah, that. Yeah. And other planetary <laughs> bodies. Um. <laughs> um yeah but mine is old hollywood stars being restrained backstage because they're so angry about an activist um protesting and yours is about literal stars so yes Yes. i think mostly yeah i mean not really stars it's about like asteroids and comets and stuff mostly Mm -hmm. um but like space and space has stars so we're just going to say that it works. <laughs> so we make the rules and, that's and we make them up what I'm saying. So everyone get on board. Should I just jump oh straight into it? then? Yeah, go for okay. it. Okay. My sources. I don't have as many as usual, but it's because like I read a lot of different NASA articles. Mm-hmm. Um, so my sources are NASA, the Weather Network, NPR and New Scientist. OK, so, you know, when you like really have to do something with a deadline, that you just don't want to do, like cleaning your house when people are coming <laughs> over or like, I feel like when I was in school, like writing a paper that's due tomorrow and I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. now would be a really good time to like organize my entire closet, like take everything out, like find the clothes that don't fit or like mm-hmm. I'm going to like reorganize my nail polishes or just like something like so far out of the I scope. have become such a diligent budgeter. I have such an extensive budget spreadsheet ever since I, um, well, while I was in grad school. Okay. And like, <laughs> to be fair, somewhat connected and a very useful thing. Yes. But it does not have to be as in- intricate, have as many spreadsheets and tabs as it does. Um, so yes, I relate. That sounds incredible. Um, honestly, if that's like <laughs> It's something- called Olivia's Big Scary Budget. And I it starts with that. a meme that says <laughs> like- what I have to do to make a living. And it says work. And the person's just crying. It's like, no, <laughs> I, I don't want to work. So basically exactly that. So like the Olivia's Big Scary Budget um, <laughs> of saving the earth, mm. I think kind of is looking into asteroid collision mitigation. While the climate crisis is rapidly worsening and like killing a fair amount of people like all the time, um, like mm-hmm. Hurricane Ian that just hit Florida causing so much devastation um it's it's like the floods in pakistan yeah yeah the floods in pakistan like it it, the climate crisis is here now we need to start like kicking our gears and like getting on that but it turns out that we're we're working on that and i love an asteroid collision for the plot like one of my favorite movies of all time (laughs) is seeking a friend for the end of the world um Mm -hmm. and don't look up uh, which came out, what was it? Is that two years ago now? Uh, end of December 2021. Okay. Yeah. Um, which we, I think we talked about it a fair bit in like the did. first episode of the year. Yeah. So that was obviously a great allegory for climate change. Um, so there is mm-hmm. a pretty strong connection too between thinking of asteroids and the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, I don't know, like as a literary <laughs> device or whatever i feel like asteroids or comets hitting earth are like a good stand-in for inescapable things 
um, whether that is like facing climate change or, or our mortality or what have you. Mm-hmm. But given that there are really no immediate threats that we know of at all of anything hitting the earth, <laughs> um, it does seem a little silly to spend $300 million to see if we can, you know, scoot an asteroid's trajectory over enough to miss something, um, which is exactly what NASA just did recently, which like, not gonna lie, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But it again, the <laughs> big scary budget of things that we need to do to save the Earth right now. Mm-hmm. So on September 26th, after 10 months of flying through space, NASA's Devil Asteroid Redirection Test, or DART, neared its destination. It was originally headed straight for a 2,560-foot diameter asteroid called Didymos. But as it got closer, it honed in on Didymos's smaller 530-foot asteroid moonlet, Dimorphos. I love the word moonlit. It's so cute. Wait, yeah. Is a moonlit like a the smaller asteroid? And then the name was Demoro? So, so the big asteroid is Didymos. And then the little asteroid that's orbiting it is called Dimorphos. And I think moonlit is just like, it's it's so little that it's not really a moon. But yeah. it's a little big yeah. one. Nunito, that's the scientific yeah. definition of that, of mo- moonlit. It's just a little guy. So... Anyway, I just thought that was really cute. But there was a video of all this going down. Basically, Dart was shot at (laughs) that moonlit. And they were hoping that if it smashed into it, that it would change the orbit and like trajectory of Dimorphos around Didymos. And I'll try to put that video on our Instagram because it is pretty cool. But Dart transmitted a bunch of images as it approached Dimorphos and then the feed went dead which in most cases a camera going dead is not a good sign but in this case it was because that means that it successfully crashed into the asteroid and died Hmm. died yeah r.i.p dart but there was also another little satellite monitoring the whole thing and I'm honestly glad that we kind of skipped a week because I think all of the updates about it came out after we would have released this last week. Mm. So luckily I have an update for you about how this all went down if you haven't already seen it in the news. Uh, if you don't just get like served space <laughs> stuff on whatever. Um, So <laughs> I always love how you're like whatever. <laughs> Why, what was I saying? I don't fucking know. Um, Anyway. You're not constantly just getting served um, Taylor Swift news on oh, the side of Twitter my, like, aggressively. My my internet is just like, okay, satellites and Taylor Swift. That's all you need to know mm. about. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my algorithm for you. Just the priorities. The only things you need. So basically, NASA's minimum goal to count the mission as success was changing the asteroid's orbit around the bigger asteroid by 73 seconds. And it turns out that the impact changed Dimorphos's orbit from 11 hours and 55 minutes to 11 hours and 23 minutes, give or take two minutes. So that was a 32 minute change when their goal for being successful was 73 seconds. So huge, huge, huge success. And basically the whole idea of this is like if an asteroid was headed towards Earth, if they could change like that asteroids orbit or like trajectory by a little bit far away by the time it got to earth it would like miss so based on 
this experiment, if they could shift it as much as they did in this case, if they like knocked an asteroid out of its path by that much, it could save Earth potentially, which like, are there any things like this happening? No, but just in case, good good to know. Yeah, I just, um, not to give ten- too many don't look up spoilers, but well, first of all, a big criticism of that movie was like, you know, it's, it's a great allegory for this undeniable crisis but like what the asteroid misses of the larger climate crisis is this focus on um like the systems that we live in and how Mm -hmm. people have profited off of those systems specifically fossil fuel and so like this kind of accountability that doesn't exist with like an asteroid shooting to earth but then also one of my favorite moments of the film is when the like techno billionaire is like actually this could be profitable and we can like yeah sure Mm -hmm. we could like maybe try and um, push it away. But actually, if we get it to Earth and like enough of us survive that impact, we can beam it up into a bunch of tiny little things and then sell that for money. And I just thought that was like so classic. So anytime I'm hearing this news, I just like think of it in the isn't in the sense of like the techno billionaire being like, you know how we can make this good for us? Yeah. So, I mean, well, like in that scenario, if we could do this, we could kind of, I guess, have our cake and eat it too mm. if we like scoot it away from Earth so there's no risk of impact, but like yeah. it still exists. So it could still be harvested. I don't know. I right. obviously I'm not advocating for tech billionaires mining asteroids. That's <laughs> crazy. Um, and also, there's a big difference between NASA and techno billionaires, at least to, to my knowledge. Like, yes, I don't want to shit on the work like the amazing science work that they're doing yes yeah so yeah whatever um i i did it again (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i mean it's cool if anyone has ever stressed out about that like Mm -hmm. first of all you have nothing to really stress about because there are no known things anywhere with barely any chance of hitting earth and two if there were we now have a way to get around that Mm -hmm. so on this uh, I will say NASA Administrator Bill Nelson said all of us have a responsibility to protect our home planet. After all, it's the only one we have. This mission shows that NASA is trying to be ready for whatever the universe throws at us. NASA has proven we are serious as a defender of the planet. This is a watershed moment for planetary mm. defense and all of humanity demonstrating commitment from NASA's exceptional team and partners from around the world. Which, in my mind, that's setting off little... I wonder what other uh, things that are that NASA could help uh, protect the Earth from uh, mm. that are very immediate threats. Just setting off little alarm bells there, mm-hmm. which I also I don't, makes me think of aliens. <laughs> it also makes me think of aliens. So like NASA, what do you know? I honestly, I just want to know like all the top secret alien stuff. Maybe that should be my story next week. Should I look into aliens? Ooh, <laughs> wait, yeah. I I, I, I don't know how I'll directly connect it, but I feel like I could I could find a way. If we could find a way. Anyway. Yeah, I think I'll think about that. I love alien things. Like I've I've recently come to the conclusion that like alien movies are like my favorite. They're so good. Um anyway. Okay. Well, like a arrival and stuff, especially. Oh, okay. Arrival Alien and now the movie Nope that I don't know if you've seen that yet. Mm, no, I wanna it's see it. So good. Like one of my favorite movies now. Um, it was just Mom. like beautiful. It was just interesting. It took like some really interesting like 
alien and horror like tropes and kind of just like flip them mm. on their head, which I thought was really fun. And it was just like entertaining the whole time. It was it was just really, really good. Mm-hmm. OK, so I don't know if you remember this, but in our Mars colonization episode, the, the story that I told, mm. one of the proposed solutions for like how we can save the Earth and further our ability to travel space and actually like thrive in space um, or like on other planets or whatever was NASA sending out small teams to communities around the world being like how are you having trouble surviving on this planet whether it's having trouble Hmm. growing crops or not enough water or like dealing with extreme climate and basically through helping those communities with their problems they would develop more and more technology to survive in really harsh conditions which would likely help that's interesting i forgot about that yeah which would likely help people survive and thrive on other planets or like adapt or like make them livable which i just think is so cool like honestly i think that's probably one of the coolest solutions for climate stuff Mm -hmm. basically like using the earth as like a test for interplanetary travel and living yeah and maybe it also like makes you think I I just remember from your Mars colonization episode how you're like living on Mars would suck it would and I feel like having that reminder from like NASA people in random corners of the world would be like actually you know we gotta step it up for this planet we don't have like all these other places even if we have this technology it's not going to be for us yeah and and again if more technology was developed on earth to solve earth problems they could very likely be applied to mars and other planets and again Mm -hmm. the idea of if earth gets fucked like outside of things like climate change if there's some like like our solar system dies or something like that, like Mars is fucked too. So like we need to go farther Mm. than that. So anyway, NASA, now that you've solved the asteroid problem, I have a pitch for you. Let's talk. And maybe we could talk some alien things too. Uh, Cool. (laughs) Anyway, so there's no huge... Worldisburnedpod at gmail.com. Talk to you soon. Email us, (laughs) NASA, please. So there are no huge earth-threatening asteroids right now that we know of good so scientists have started looking at smaller things like okay well this this wouldn't like take out a city but like could this be annoying or like cause some inconveniences Mm -hmm. and we're in the clear for now but i figured i would run through some of the ones that have happened in the past Mm. so even though this podcast primarily focuses on human caused climate change and potential solutions and like you know causes little things of that i think it is fun to do the stories that we do about like volcanoes and things that are like outside of our control right because i think it is good to look at those situations to see like how responses to those could inform responses to natural disasters that that essentially we caused and also mm-hmm. looking at really catastrophic climate uh, situations of the past, uh, even before humans, you know, again, can it help inform how you respond to things now. Mm-hmm. So here we go. We're, we're turning the clock back about <laughs> 4.5 billion years ago when a Mars-sized protoplanet called Thea crashed into Earth. 
Uh, and this was like what? Yeah. So this is like big time crash, like two essentially two planets smashing together. So like <laughs> not only and like I don't there was no life on Earth at this point that we know of, but like <laughs> most of Earth's crust like flew off and the Earth had this like ring of debris around it that of from from this both the planets smushing together that <laughs> eventually through gravity became the moon. So thank you, Thea, for making the moon. Wow. And interestingly enough, the way Thea crashed into Earth and both of them kind of like they smushed together and both of them exploded off into space too and made that little ring. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why a lot of people uh, hypothesize that Earth and the moon are made of very similar things. Oh, so the the piece that became the moon is actually part of Earth? No. So, yes. So, Thea, Earth. Earth mm-hmm. is just vibing around the moon. And then Thea comes mm-hmm. barreling on in. Around the sun, yeah. And then, yeah, what did I say? <laughs> you said Earth is just vibing around the moon. <laughs> that's, that's not what I meant. Earth, <laughs> Earth is just vibing around the sun, minding its own business. Thea comes along crashes straight into earth and then pieces of like that collision causes pieces of Mm. Thea to fly off and also basically causes the earth's crust to also fly off of earth so I see I see most of earth's (laughs) crust and some of Thea formed like a little belt around earth which eventually Mm -hmm. through gravity and whatever clumped up into the moon so it's a little mm. team project. And then Earth became Earth and Thea. That's crazy. So pretty wild. So that's like, I think, the biggest mega collision of all time. Mm-hmm. I feel like when we think of collisions, we think of like, oh, a crater, not like, oh, two, essentially two planets smushed together mm-hmm. and became a new thing. So that was that one. And then... Uh, 3.8 billion years ago, uh, there were enough impacts of Earth and the moon, as well as Mercury, Venus, and Mars. So there's a lot of things flying around at the time that actually the surface of Earth remained molten for a while, which is also pretty wild. It's just, I don't know, it's just interesting to think about like how much it's changed. It used to be incredibly unlivable. Um, So it's just like, I don't know, it's interesting to think about how far the earth has come in terms of livability Mm -hmm. and also i guess to the same effect what planets are unlivable now that that like may become livable in 3.8 billion years Mm. um obviously that's none of my business but like i don't know it's interesting (laughs) um (laughs) so obviously these bombardments are at a level like way higher than any asteroid movie earth collision plot would ever get into most likely and then 2.23 billion years ago so kind of fast fast forward a whole billion and a half years or whatever a 40 mile crater um was made in western australia which is so wild to me like just again obviously not keeping the earth molten but Mm -hmm. that's just so big 40 miles that's like most cities bigger than most cities probably from one side to the other 
Yeah, that's insane. And I actually, okay, so like that crater, I don't think it was the same uranium mines that we talked about in the like Jackie Katona episode because mm. this was in Western Australia and those mines were in Northern Australia, I believe. Um, but just like interesting that asteroid left a lot of resources behind a lot of uranium. Mm. So again, kind of kind of going to the space billionaire tech guy thing, asteroids and things from space that have historically caused a lot of destruction on Earth have also mm-hmm. brought a lot of resources that we enjoy today. So just like making Earth what it is. I don't often think like, thanks asteroids for that. Yeah. <laughs> but 1.8 billion years ago, a 6 to 10 mile impactor created one of the largest impact craters found on Earth today. When this one struck, it flung rock. Uh, it, it was in Canada. I didn't write down where in Canada, which is stupid. But it was in <laughs> Canada and it flung rock as far as current day Minnesota. So just flinging rocks everywhere. And hmm. like, can you just imagine if you're in Minnesota and then like rocks are fl- falling from the sky and you're like, where did those come from? And wait, when was when did this happen? 1.8 billion years ago. Okay. Uh, so I like, just want to make sure. <laughs> long, 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 so. long, 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 long time ago. But like, again, can you imagine if on the news they're like, rocks ruin the house, <laughs> ruin the roofs of houses and mm-hmm. of many Minnesotan families. And then you're like, from a freaking asteroid that hit Canada. Um, yeah. I, I also it's wonder. Depend- now now it's important to know what part of Canada because it could be it very wasn't, close. I, I feel like it was like like a Toronto area, like north of Toronto or something. Like it was okay. like it, it was. Is it the Great Lakes? It wasn't the Great. Like the impact wasn't the Great Lakes. Mm. Um, It was like it wasn't like a crazy far bit away from Minnesota. Like it was just like kind of whatever but it was like also that's a but it's still crazy yeah yeah this impactor may have actually split the earth's crust as well which again just crazy that it would do that so magma likely like flowed up through the crack bringing lots Mm. of nickel copper gold and platinum up to the surface of the earth so in this case the asteroid or comet or whatever didn't bring the resources in that area from outer space but it like brought them Mm -hmm. up from the earth itself so just an interesting Mm. effect that i was (laughs) i didn't know that could ever happen um yeah so interesting there's a lot of mining around that area now just because something hit it 1.8 billion years ago yeah now sometime around 65 or 66 million years ago we're getting into millions so getting a lot closer to modern times, even though it's 65 million years ago. And also just want to say, I'm not necessarily hitting every single asteroid because no one wants to listen to that. Um, I'm just like <laughs> hitting hitting the big, the big ones that are in like a lot of different timelines of space things. So 65 million years ago, an asteroid or comet that could have been as big as eight miles wide hit the small town of Chicxulub, Mexico at roughly 45,000 miles per hour. Now, after hearing that, I'm sure that your most pressing question is, okay, what is the difference between an asteroid and a comet? 
It was my question. It was your it question? Really was. Okay, okay. I was thinking that. Okay, cool. I was. <laughs> I feel like most people are going to be like, what happened when an eight-mile rock hit a, hit a city? Um, and in, it wasn't a city. It's now a city. But yeah, difference between asteroid and comet. Uh, so both orbit the sun, but asteroids are made of rock and comets are made of ice and dust. So when they mm. get close to the sun, they start to melt and get that classic little tail. And if you're like, hey, okay, asteroids, comets, what about meteors? Meteors are small pieces of both asteroids and comets that are small enough that they burn up going through Earth's atmosphere, making the bright streaks or what we often call shooting stars. So there you go. There you go. Three words Um, I've used interchangeably for my whole life. (laughs) Which I know. Okay. So I know Pluto has a lot of ice on it. And mm. part of the reason why they said it wasn't going to be a planet anymore was because if it was closer to the sun, it would basically, like, turn into a comet and, gotcha. like, would have a little tail. So just, like, fun facts about Pluto. Um, hmm. But anyway, for anyone else, again, who, <laughs> who was wondering what happened when an eight-mile-wide rock uh, going almost 50,000 miles per hour hit Earth, it made an impact crater up more than 100 miles wide. And this impact caused earthquakes, volcanoes. And a huge tsunami that reached the center of North America, wow. which sounds wrong, but I think it's correct. Uh, yeah. So just like huge change. And all this caused an impact winter because all the dust and debris kicked up into the atmosphere, caused the earth to cool, and it caused photosynthesis to essentially stop, which hmm. caused the dinosaurs to die off. Uh, or most of them, anyway, I guess. Or dinosaurs are specifically the lizard guys. So I guess all of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Except the ones in the depths of the ocean. Yes. So 70 to 80% of all species went extinct during this time. So a lot of them. Again, there were some lucky ones that escaped that. But yeah, weather and erosion have erased most of like the visual impacts or the visual traces of the impact. But obviously, that was a huge earth-changing species, ecosystem, shattering event. Hmm. Um, which there are definitely movies about, like uh, Land Before Time. And do you remember that movie, Dinosaur? Those movies. Um, I don't think so, specifically. Land Before Ooh. Time, definitely. Okay, great movies. Love Land Before <laughs> Time. Um, anyway... <laughs> I love this. This is Sorry. what happens when we record early in the morning. I'm like, we're both like, Ooh. I'm, yeah. Um, and I'm like, I'm gonna talk about freaking space. Next time I say <laughs> I'm gonna talk about that, you should be like, no, you're not allowed to do this anymore because you're gonna end up talking about Pluto or something. Um, anyway, 15 million years ago, an asteroid hit Germany and is thought to have scattered an emerald green glass called Moldavite across the bohemian region of czech republic which hmm. ha, do you have you heard about moldavite no okay it went viral on tiktok like a year or two ago because people were saying like like in the crystal world people were saying that like if you got it it would like your life would like start changing a lot like i don't know hmm. manifestation and stuff but like crazy but i just thought like I don't know. Interesting viral uh, glass crystal thing. Um, yeah. 
and it came from space. Speaking of cool materials, thank you, asteroids. Um, the impact of that asteroid caused a specific type of rock called suvite to form. And suvite is a coarse-grained fused rock that contains glass, shock crystals, and even some diamonds sometimes. And about a thousand years ago, so this was well after the impact, but a thousand years ago, the town of Nordlingen was built. And a lot of the buildings in the town were built from this uh, stone, suvite, including St. George Cathedral which is estimated to have 5,000 carats of diamonds in its walls. That's incredible. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, right? And, like, I think a lot of those little diamonds are, like, microscopic. Like, they're very, very tiny. So it's not like, oh, there's, like, huge diamonds and we're just, like, putting them in a building. Um, mm. They're really, really little. But, like, 5,000 carats of diamonds in the walls. Pretty cool. Um, wow. And that's just from the pressure of the impact. Now, 50,000 years ago, a 50-meter-wide nickel-iron meteorite smashed into what is now Arizona. And this created what is today one of the best-preserved large impact craters, reaching about three-quarters of a mile. And it's annoying because I drove by this on my road trip this summer. And I mm. like we wanted to go, but we hit, we were, like, it was basically on our drive between the Grand Canyon and... Uh, petrified forest national park and mm. i bought a national park pass because i was like if we're going to two different national parks might as well spend like 80 dollars on the park pass like it'll be worth it mm -hmm. but to see this crater it's 25 dollars a person so i was like 75 dollars for the three of us to go that's just like a lot to see a crater but i right. now i, now I kind of want to go back and see it when you so. had just gone to the grand canyon and you're like meh yeah. But now you're like, shit. Yeah, I saw a pretty big hole in the ground that was probably cooler than this one. So, hmm. um, but yeah, there's like such cool space stuff in Arizona. Like really, really cool. So I want to go back and- Area 51. <laughs> Actually, that's not even in Arizona. Sorry. Where is it? I don't know what's wrong with me today. Um, I think Utah. Is uh, Okay, I was going to say, is it Utah? Same region, okay. yeah. Similar. Yeah, similar, similar landscape. And- <laughs> <laughs> Much more recently, in 1908, a meteor burst in the air above Tunguska, Siberia, with the force of a hydrogen bomb. And this flattened hundreds of square miles of forest, killed like hundreds. How? Yeah, yeah, like wild. It killed hundreds of reindeer and other animals. And while there aren't any accounts of it killing anyone, people were injured and people were really freaked out by this whole situation, which like fully yeah. checks out. According to the people who examined the damage in the years following, which it took a long time for people to get actually out there, but it was really hard to get people to talk about what they saw and what they witnessed because hmm. a lot of them thought it was a punishment from the god Ogdi. But one witness said of the incident, suddenly in the north sky, the sky was split in two and high above the forest, the whole northern part of the sky appeared covered with fire. At that moment, there was a bang in the sky and a mighty crash. The crash was followed by a noise like stones falling from the sky or guns firing. The earth trembled. So just like, wow. I mean, I imagine like without an explanation, like it's something that I imagine you could think was like some divine act. If you're like, did yeah. anybody do that? Like, 
like it wasn't like during war it was just like no one knows what this was and again it was over Mm. like forest so it was kind of far away and people were just like we're not going over there because like what the fuck is that um which like same (laughs) um (laughs) in another instance 40 miles from the explosion a man sitting on the front porch of a trading post was thrown from his chair and he said it felt so hot that he initially thought his clothes had caught on fire um so just like and that was 40 miles from the explosion so it was all pretty intense but the likelihood of that kind of event happening anytime soon isn't really likely Mm. um so that's good news (sighs) so right now it doesn't like I said, like many times during this thing, <laughs> there's not a big likelihood of anything hitting us. Um, mm-hmm. For a while, an asteroid called 1950DA, which is a little over a kilometer wide, was the biggest threat to Earth. In 2001, they thought there was a 1 in 300 chance of it striking Earth in uh, 2880. So, like... 800 over 800 years from now um in 2015 2800 2880 2880 oh okay 2880 so like that's not 800 years from now yeah no no like the year 2880 so i hear like yeah uh, like 150 years from now um, in 2015, that threat was downgraded to one in 8,000. And this year, it was downgraded even further to one in 30,000 chance. So it's very unlikely at this point. Um, and we have another 800 years to keep monitoring it. Figure it out. Yeah. So I guess good that we have our eyes on it. And it's something that we're thinking hundreds of years in advance about which like literally what (laughs) what else in the human future are we thinking yeah 800 years in advance for like really nothing that I know of anyway that I can think of off the the top of my head yeah no I think we have hard enough time getting people to think about 2050 or 2065 yeah yeah and like even like financial things I know like some big institutions will take out like 100 year loans but I feel like 100 years is like really kind of our cap and like you said like we can barely even think Mm -hmm. 20 years in the future so anyway, I think it's overall pretty interesting to look at like impact events and how they mm-hmm. shape the earth, whether it's, you know, providing resources that we use today or just like changing the ecosystem and whatnot. And yeah, hopefully we have a while as in like 100, I think 100 million years is the like mm-hmm. average for planet changing impacts. So like. We're good, guys, if anyone was stressed about it. One less thing to stress over. (laughs) Plenty of things to stress about in the present if you want something to think about. Exactly. So I think something that is very interesting about, again, how we fear impacts to Earth Mm -hmm. that would destroy the Earth and how we view climate change is that and and like our subsequent responses to those things Mm -hmm. with a comet or an asteroid hitting the Earth that is going to affect people a lot more equally. Right? Yeah. 
So like maybe you'll have your Elon Musks that can like, I'm going to take a rocket off Earth for a second and then like come back down once the Mm -hmm. impact is over or like shit like that. Or like maybe if they're like, this impact is going to hit this, it's going to hit New York and like, okay, well, I'm going to fly. I have the means to fly to LA and like, I'll Mm -hmm. be fine. Like maybe you could escape it. But like overall, especially if you didn't have very much time to prepare, it would affect everyone really equally. And as we know, climate change doesn't affect everyone equally. And I just think that the response and like how far we look at Hmm. asteroids and like potential impacts that would affect everyone and ruin everyone's home. And again, maybe even if you had the means to survive, like it wouldn't be a very fun earth to live on for a while. I just think our like the way we are looking at theoreticals for that when we have a very Mm -hmm. real crisis happening now that is affecting people unequally that's just something something to chew on you know for (laughs) for for a while because yeah I just am like why are we so fixated on the idea of something hitting earth when there's really not any immediate threat of it while it seems like we don't want to talk about the thing that Mm -hmm. is immediately at hand and again, yeah, it's probably, probably just like it's scarier and it's more scarier real and more real. And it's the I'm going to go through all of my bags to see how many lip glosses I can find when I have a paper due in three hours mm-hmm. uh, a phenomenon. But but yeah, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. And yeah. Again, the equality factor of. Right. Well, like, oh, I like how you laid it out because it's like there's so many parallels between human caused climate change and like other climate changing events Mm -hmm. but then there's also so many things that are dissimilar and so like the some of the false equivalencies like don't work out at all but then there is Mm -hmm. obviously like a lot that we can learn from that stuff yeah and a lot of value in a lot of the research that's done by nasa and other companies organizations i don't know what they're called yeah organizations that works governments yeah i don't know (laughs) and i guess i guess there's a lot of space stuff that's being done by private companies at this point so Mm. yeah So can I dive into my story then? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So, yes, different, but some similarities that we will figure out. Um, So I'm telling the story of a powerful woman who left us too early this month. Her name was Sasheen Littlefeather. Um, My sources for this were a short documentary called Sasheen, a couple of YouTube videos, uh, The New York Times, Uh, CBC and the Oscars website. Mm -hmm. So just a little refresher, you might recognize Sashin as the woman who denied Marlon Brando's Academy Award on his behalf for The Godfather. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll get more into that story in a bit, but um, that's likely where you remember her from. Actually, Mm -hmm. let's like play the clip as a refresher, at least for you and me, Elise. Um, So if you don't remember the clip. Um, I'll put it on all of our social media. But she uh, basically goes up on stage, puts her hand up to deny the presenter who's trying mm-hmm. to hand her the award um, and improvises a speech that gets a mix, mm-hmm. quite an equal mix of booze and applause. The winner is... Marlon Brando in The Godfather. Accepting the award for Marlon Brando and the Godfather, 
Miss Kashin Littlefeather. Hello, my name is Sashin Littlefeather. I'm Apache, and I'm president of the National Native American Affirmative Image Committee. I'm representing Marlon Brando this evening, and he has asked me to tell you in a very long speech, which I cannot share with you presently because of time, but I will be glad to share with the press afterwards that he very regretfully cannot accept this very generous award. And the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry, excuse me, and on television in movie reruns, and also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I beg at this time that I have not intruded upon this evening and that we will, in the future, our hearts and our understandings will meet with love and generosity. Thank you on behalf of Marlon Brando. So, so Sheen was born in 1946. Her birth name was Marie Louise Cruz. Um, she was born in the city of Salinas, California. Her mom was white of European descent, while her dad was of both Mountain Apache and Yaqui descent. Her parents had actually moved to Salinas prior to her birth because their marriage was considered illegal in Arizona, where they were living wow. before. She had a really tough childhood, including a very challenging relationship with her father. Um, when she went to university to study drama, the psychological abuse from her father escalated to the point where she had to pause mm. her education and seek wow. medical treatment. Wow. She describes her strength like that she gained through fighting this depression so honestly. Like I was watching interviews from her in the mid 70s and mm -hmm. I was just amazed like the the level of openness that she had to talk about mental illness, um, including things like suicidal ideation and the dangers of the mental health system and like mm -hmm. medical treatment centers. I like I had never seen someone be so open about those conversations at the time. Um, I'll have yeah. all of those in my sources on the website if you want to watch them. And then like in the same breath, she'll describe the roots of colonialism in California and like her highs and lows of being an actress. It's just like very oh, brave, yeah. very open and very candid, like even when speaking to sort of the white establishment interviewers. Yeah, yeah. And and you said was her mother white and her mm -hmm. Yes. father was indigenous it is also yeah. like it's kind of interesting like I think it speaks to her strength and like ability to see things clearly that like her connection with her father mm -hmm. or like abuse by her father didn't like mess up her connection with like yeah her heritage I think that's really really cool yeah so do I I think I think that especially like when her um indigeneity is like kind of put into question by the media later mm -hmm. on which we'll get to like um, the way that she holds strong to that, even though, yes, it's like also a part of this trauma that I'm sure is like, I don't know the details of her father's situation, but like so much rooted in generational trauma and like the traumas of the systems that he was a part of, too. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so her kind of political awakening was actually in 1970 at the Alcatraz occupation. So I don't know the exact geographics, but Salinas is not too far from the Bay Area. Um, and she was going to school in the Bay Area and Alcatraz is right around there. So although because she was a student, she couldn't live full time on the island as like the true occupation. Um, this is when she started getting more involved in the local Indian Council. She met local Native activists and she adopted the name Sashin Littlefeather. Um, and Littlefeather was a, uh, also a name that her father had given her for like her always wearing a feather in her hair. And Sashin mm. was a, a family nickname. I'm not sure of what origin. Um, so eventually she headed from the Bay Area to L.A. where she earned small roles in a number of films. Through her modest success as a working actor, she met the director, Francis Ford Coppola. Actually, it said that they were neighbors, which I think implies oh, wow. that she was even more successful. I mean, she was successful, but she wasn't like a household name in the way that like you think of the Coppolas. Like, um, yeah, but she she met him through that. Maybe they lived in the same neighborhood. Wow. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so it's through him that she was connected to Marlon Brando when Coppola directed The Godfather. He had told Brando about her work, so he was somewhat familiar with it. Um, and Brando was actually already quite outspoken about political issues, specifically Native issues. Through Coppola, Sashin wrote a letter to Brando um, asking him for his support and like basically asking if his support for their causes was sincere. She was like, are you mm. actually for real or are you just like saying this so that eventually you can play a Native American on TV and like pass it off as uh, okay? I, I <laughs> couldn't find the exact letter. I need to look harder for it because I'm sure okay. it exists somewhere. Um, although I'm not sure that it was saved, but she, she recounts that it's like kind of saying something to that effect and kind of provoking him, but like in, in a, in a playful way, but just being like, are you for real? Yeah. Um, and so a long time passed, something like a year and she heard nothing back. Eventually she got a personal call to the radio station where she was working. Um, as Sashin tells it, Brando said, I bet you don't know who this is since they'd never spoken. And mm -hmm. a year had passed since she had sent her letter. She said, I do. This is Marlon Brando. And he's like, ha! laughs and is so surprised. Um, so they developed a friendship and started talking about contemporary Native issues. About a year later, three nights before the award ceremony, Brando called her and asked if she would be willing to refuse the award for him in the case that he won. And this is mm -hmm. for the Godfather. Like, I know, yeah. obviously, they don't have the context of history, but like, it's the Godfather. It was doing quite yeah. well. Um, and something I actually didn't quite put into this is that, you know, Marlon Brando is this classic actor, very successful in like, what, the the 50s, early 60s. But he had to, mm -hmm. like had a severe drop in his box office success for most of the 60s and early 70s. So like The Godfather was kind of him like picking back up. And I, I think that's interesting context because like, yes, he's this powerful man in like the world but he also wasn't necessarily like he was having his comeback and so that for him to like refuse this award when he's like having that comeback after a long time of like yeah relative struggles um I th just think is interesting that is interesting yeah so obviously she didn't know if Brando would win they never do um mm -hmm. but she said she knew that she had a responsibility to carry out for a friend so they discussed the potential personal ramifications that she might suffer and also the fact that she had to keep her involvement a complete secret 
not even telling her immediate family about the decision, um, which even though it was only a couple of days, I can imagine the like stress of making a decision like that. Yeah. But when she talks about it in retrospect, she is very dedicated to the cause and saying like, if I could help the Native cause by doing this, then I'm going to do it despite the personal yeah. sacrifices. So on the night she arrived towards the end of the ceremony, um, she describes being like driven over by Marlon Brando's nephew. She had like been at his house on Mulholland Drive. He's writing this really long eight page letter for her to read um, that's mm-hmm. being transcribed by his secretary who ended up mm-hmm. being Sashin's like plus one essentially into okay. um, the show. So they show up maybe like 30 minutes before the award ceremony is about to end. They have the two tickets. They don't even believe them at first, but they know that Marlon Brando was a no-show and these are the like his people. So yeah, they let her in. The showrunner and president of the Academy warned her that she would only have 60 seconds and he pointed to the police who were standing by in the event that she went over time. <gasps> Definitely Damn. a little bit of a threat. Um, yeah. Like I said, Brando had written an eight-page letter for her to read, which she, like, I think the story goes that the producer, like, held that up and was like, you're not going to be able to read this. So, like, say goodbye to whatever this is. She's holding the paper folded when she goes up on stage, but she doesn't read from it. Um, She just basically had to throw it out the window and improvise. So when his name is called, she went up, of course, in his place. She's wearing a traditional Apache buckskin dress hair ties, and moccasins. Marlon had asked her not to touch the award, so she kind of gestures like stop to the presenter and they continue to hold it. They're like obviously confused. Mm -hmm. Um, Her speech, which was, like I said, met by both applause and loud boos, was mostly improvised, simply saying that Marlon's full statement would be released to the press shortly thereafter, which it was. Mm -hmm. Um, When she was done, she was escorted off stage by armed guards. Apparently, John Wayne was being restrained like by <gasps> security backstage because he wanted to pull her off stage. He was so angry. Oh, um, my God. John Wayne, of course, of like the Western movies, Cowboys, yeah. Indians, stereotypes galore, um, and also famously very conservative right wing. Sashin was the first woman of color and the first Native woman to make a political statement at the Academy Awards. Um, in that short doc, Sashin, which I really highly recommend watching, like I said, it'll be on our website. They showed a headline that called it the Oscars first diversity protest. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know for a fact if that is true, but that was like a headline from the time. And I was yeah quite interested by that, especially it's 1973. It's not like, I don't know, whatever, 1940 um, yeah. for that to be the first diversity protest is quite a statement. Mm-hmm. In the next presentation, so right after that award, Clint Eastwood made sort of a cheap joke at Sashin's expense. He gets up and he's like, I don't know if I should present this award on account of all the cowboys shot in all the John Ford Westerns over the years, mm-hmm. um, which is just sort of a groan moment. And yeah. you could argue, obviously, it's a very tense thing and a difficult, like it's difficult to follow any tense moment at a award ceremony that has so many eyes on you so you could say he's just like diffusing the tension being the next presenter but I also think it represents this sort of disrespect and like downplaying that is super common in this space especially towards Mm -hmm. activists that like make people uncomfortable yeah both Sashin and Marlon in his statement that ended up getting released to the press mentioned wounded knee in their speeches the occupation of wounded knee which was a tactic to reopen 
treaty negotiations with the U.S. and also to oust an abusive tribal president. Those had begun a month before on February 27, 1973, and would continue for another month or so. Um, and also just to be clear, because this is history that I honestly should have known and did not, um, this is sometimes referred to as the second wounded knee, since they chose the same location surrounded by South Dakota. Um, mm-hmm. That was the site of the Wounded Knee Massacre in 1890, mm-hmm. which was an event where 300 natives got killed by the U.S. Army. Um, mm-hmm. The site was obviously chosen for the symbolic value, but it's worth separating that those are two separate events. Gotcha. Russell Means, who was a controversial activist who was an AIM leader at Wounded Knee, he said that it strengthened their resolve on site. Um, in many ways, the intense media focus on Sashin's speech ended the media blackout that was happening at Wounded Knee and kind of brought mm. more visibil- visibility to the cause. After the incident, Sashin was boycotted. She says that she wasn't blacklisted. She was redlisted. Mm. Um, according to her, the FBI went to the major production houses and told them that they'd be shut down if they hired or even interviewed her. Damn. Um, And many tried to discount her contribution as they were condemning it. So they called her a Mexican actress dressed as an Indian princess, or they Mm -hmm. weaponized an earlier Playboy magazine spread that she had done as a model, calling her a stripper. Lots of misogynistic, Mm -hmm. um, anti-Indigenous statements made against her, like kind of just throwing everything at her to both discount her and embarrass her, blacklist her, whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Sashin continued to be outspoken about Native stereotypes in films. She said that Natives are portrayed as ignorant savages in films, so either drunks or lesser secondary citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked before about the Crying Indian ad, um, which was yes. released in 1970 and is like a very kind of like, yes, just the the ultimate stereotype of Native Americans yeah. in America. It's like about pollution. There's a single tear that runs down his eye. And the actor that plays him is not actually a Native person. Yeah. Um, reinforces a lot of stereotypes. That was in 1970. So, like, really close timelines. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. What 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 Oscar year was this? 1973. So, a couple years later. A couple years after. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and the examples of Native representation at the time were very limited and often rooted in these harmful stereotypes. In a 1976 interview, Sashin said, we need a lot of Indian people in the media, television reporting, directing, producing, camera people, etc. So we can also add what we have to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, as for herself, Sashin moved on to other work. In the 1980s, she was mentored by Mother Teresa on how wow. best to care for AIDS patients. Yeah. Oh, um, wow. And she, yeah, she was involved in the American Indian AIDS Institute for, like, pretty much the entire 80s and followed Mother Teresa around to learn from her. Wow. Um, She focused on how she could help people and speaking out for Native causes. Damn. Um, She said of her speech, if you know that you speak the truth, the truth will last beyond the time of eternity. I was willing to do this because I knew that my ancestors would be behind me and before me and surrounding me. I thought that was really beautiful. Yeah. Um, so a couple for us a, a month ago, less than a month ago, um, the mm-hmm. Oscars issued an apology. And on September mm-hmm. 17th, 2022, they hosted an evening of reflection, healing and celebration in honor of Little Feather. Um, in their apology letter, they said mm-hmm. to her, 
The abuse you endured because of this statement was unwarranted and unjustified. The emotional burden you have lived through and the cost to your own career in our industry are irreparable. For too long, the courage you showed has been unacknowledged. For this, we offer both our deepest apologies and our sincere admiration. Our sincere admiration. Today, nearly 50 years later, with the guidance of the Academy's Indigenous Alliance, we are firm in our commitment to ensuring Indigenous voices, the original storytellers, are visible, respected contributors to the global film community. We are dedicated to fostering a more inclusive, respectful industry that leverages the balance of art and activism that can be a driving force for progress. Nice. Yes. There's a, there's a longer letter. Okay. Um, and in response to that, Sashin said, regarding the Academy's apology to me, we Indians are very patient people. It's only been 50 years. We need to keep our sense of humor about this at all times. It's our method of survival, which I thought was a really good response. Yeah, um, in a very like graceful way to just be like, LOL. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks. A little late. Uh, yeah. Right. That, that is, yeah, very funny. Yes, it's like maybe better late than never, but also you're really like, yeah, 50 years. And so I wanted to read that part of that, though, because it kind of does speak to art and activism today. So like if this is their response to this 50 years later, maybe we can bring this back. And if if there's future moments of either lack of Native representation or, um, you know, any future activist moments similar that talk about land back or line three or whatever, like kind of saying you you guys said that you wouldn't make this mistake again and here you are um yeah so just keep that in the back of your mind in case anything happens and also it's obviously a really long time but it's also like I don't know it's like still in one lifespan I don't know yeah so it's like in geologic time it's things, nothing it's nothing um uh so I don't know it's it's also I guess in some ways like if things happen now and activist things aren't taken well, like how will they be looked at in 50 years kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think so too. Um, so unfortunately, Sashin was diagnosed with stage four terminal breast cancer that had metastasized to her lung mm-hmm. um, a couple of years ago and has been suffering from that um, for a long time. Um, she passed away on October 2nd, 2022. So just a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago for us. Um mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that, you know, as maybe lackluster as this response or too little too late as this response is from the Academy, that that was able to happen um, within her lifespan before she passed. I do Mm -hmm. think is really amazing. And also to bring visibility back to the story, um, Mm -hmm. because if this is the first diversity protest, if that's true, that this is the first the Oscars, there have been many since and there are still so many ways that the Oscars can improve. Um, But it's also amazing to think about in the last 50 years, and especially the last like five years, the amount of Native representation that there's been in the media. So Mm -hmm. I thought a good way to cap this off would be by recommending a couple of shows and movies with Indigenous leaders and crew. And at least if you have any more, um, we can either say them now or put them on our website. There's more like there's a couple of documentaries that I was thinking of that I could not for the life of me remember the name of. So I'm going to add more things to this list. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's definitely. Yeah. 
I was going to say, like, there's definitely documentaries or, like, different things, but I, like, can't think what the names are. Yeah. Um, and there's also plenty of things that are not focused on Native Americans, as and there are a lot of, like, indigenous stories happening in other parts of the world. But focus mm-hmm. here is on um, U.S. So Reservation Dogs is a huge one. The second season of that just came out, I think, like, a couple of months ago. I still need to watch it. Um, but that follows four Native teenagers in rural Oklahoma. And it's the first mainstream television show on which every writer, director, and series regular performer is indigenous. It's also just like a really funny show. And um, one of the lead actresses, Devery Jacobs, recalled watching Sashin's speech online as a kid. Um, So like watching it online, whatever, in the mid 2000s, not -hmm. at the time. Um, And being inspired to speak up as an indigenous creator. She said that her mm-hmm. um, Sashin's impact shaped my perspective on what it means to be an indigenous actor and activist. And it also reaffirmed my responsibility to carry out the voice of my community to, into the entertainment industry. Mm. Um, another show, another comedy is Rutherford Falls. I've only watched like an episode of this. I need to watch more. Okay. Um, I think it's on Peacock and it has um, like a, a great cast. Um, that's also one that has a Navajo co-creator and EP along with several native writers. And the premise of the mm-hmm. show is um, like a, the white um, descendant of Rutherford, like the the white man that the town was named after is best friends mm-hmm. with someone that works at the like um, a native woman who works at like a native resource center. Um, okay. And it's just like a very funny show. Again, I've only seen the first episode, but that's a good one to watch. Um, and then this is probably cheating, but Julian Brave Noise Cat is an amazing writer who is directing Sugarcane, um, which is in production currently and just received some major Sundance grant funding, um, okay. which is an investigation into the unmarked graves at an Indian residential school. Um, wow, so yeah. super interesting. I think as I've like gotten more... Um, I, I've, I've been watching more like the grant responses and stuff um, from different organizations. I There's so much more Native representation and kind of true Native representation than uh, there used to be. And like there are mm-hmm. so many more spaces for that and like avenues and grants being either like specifically focused on that, um, focused on Indigenous creators and like rising them up um, or just like on these projects that are really just fascinating stories um so yeah I think that it's like a a testament to how much can change in 50 years and obviously Mm -hmm. there's still a long way to go but like it's a pretty amazing accomplishment just for what it is yeah 100 percent. yeah that's so awesome yeah that's all I have yeah I can't think of anything else off the top of my head I'm thinking of like podcasts and books now but that's not yeah Um, Yellow Bird is also apparently being made into a TV series, which I didn't know. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll be really interested to see how that. Which is, yeah, a book that I haven't read, but you read. It's like Yellow Bird, Oil, Murder, and about um, murdered and missing indigenous women, right? I thought that's what it was about. But Mm. the murder is actually, the person who died was, I believe, a white man. And Mm. it's basically just about the corruption in oil and like crime that happens because of it and like basically the politics of oil money um on Mm -hmm. reservations and 
how it can be a big blessing to families, but also it brings like all this bad stuff too. Mm-hmm. So it was it was honestly very different than I thought it was going to be. But like the main character is like an indigenous woman who just struggled a lot um, and like was incarcerated and had addiction issues and just like her obsession with this one person who went missing. And again, I thought it was about like missing and murdered mm. indigenous women, but it ended up not being. And she was just like, this doesn't make sense. And even like that guy's mother, like was kind of annoyed by her mm. after a while. Um, Cause like she kind of like overstepped in certain things, but like, it was just like a very interesting story. And it, it, it reads like a novel, but it's like, journalism which is interesting cool yeah I remember you've talked about it before yeah the person who wrote it like this was like it was a long time it was like maybe over the course of like seven like five to ten years um, that she spent like with the community and so she was like really a big part of it so it was just it was just very very interesting but yeah I'll be I would be very interested in seeing how that gets turned into a TV series I hope it I hope it actually comes out. It was like something of last year sometime mid 2021 was talking about whoever bought it for like to to fund it, but those projects can sometimes die in in production, so I hope that's not the case mm-hmm. for this one because it's yeah, it sounds so interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, it's really Um but yeah, should we go to the dump? Yeah, let's do it. What's up with you? Um not not too much, I guess. Um oh, well I I went to a writer's retreat last weekend. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. With Cheryl Strayed. I had the time of my life. I That's awesome. Um, it was in upstate New York. Um, it was a whole weekend of like writing workshops and uh, just like really interesting exercises. And as someone who's followed her work, read her work, consumed her work, listened to every podcast she's been on, um, yeah, big fan of Cheryl Strayed. It was really interesting to see her in person and like interact with people. Um, I also hadn't been to like a, a writer's workshop that was, well, really ever, but like one that's structured like that where you, mm-hmm. you're you just doing writing prompts and like sharing them with other people, hearing from other people um, at the microphone and like kind of embracing creativity without it being based on like a large project. Um, there mm-hmm. were people there that had, you know, plenty of books out and were established writers but then there were also a lot of people like me who were just like I'm a creative and I like I'm interested in taking this course and seeing what it's like um Mm -hmm. it was also just a super calming space so that was kind of my my gift to myself like it was definitely a splurge for me to go and like stay in one of the dorms for a weekend but it was very worth it to like do something that was kind of just for me and like whatever spiritual creative development That's um awesome. such a pretty time of year and then I also wanted to tell you about this thing that I did last night which was okay um it's called the lady in green point I'll put it on our okay. website it's a free self-guided like ghost story walking tour of oh, green point yeah. in Brooklyn okay yeah I um, saw story you posted yeah I well, you could really do it any time of year, but I think it got released on October first, and it's definitely like a great Halloween time activity. Okay, um, but I think you could do it whenever. Um, yeah. It's basically this like novella. I will say it does 
you know, if you stop at several places and like stop, there's a couple of bars that you can stop at or like we stopped for pizza and stuff. It took us a good four and a half hours to finish. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. it, I think like if you really kind of blazed through it, you could probably do it in two hours, but it's like, gotcha, or yeah. maybe two and a half, but um, it's definitely a long one, but it's, you literally listen to a novella. And so I went with a couple Very of my cool. friends and we, I don't know, it's like so cool. There's like voice actors, there's lots of sound effects. Um, really, it, it tells you exactly where to walk. And then like the parts of the story are super engaged with like the history of the buildings around you. Um, Very cool. And it's like partially set in the present, partially set in um, World War II. And so okay. you're just like getting these crossing stories. Plus, it's obviously yeah. a ghost story, which is just like fun. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was a cool, like, experiential thing to do. Very fun. I love that. Yeah. Have you done um, a walking? I hadn't done anything like that before. The last time I went on a walking tour, I think, was in or like a haunted one was in New Orleans. I did one Same. of those in like the town center, which are also so fun. Yeah, I've done a couple. Honestly, I love like ghost tours as a way to tour a city because it's like mm-hmm. kind of fun and it's it's like never really dry, but like you do get tidbits of and fun facts like about the city and just like general history and then you get some spooky stories. So like I yeah, I love doing like a ghost tour as a way to like get a feel for a city. Um, yeah, New Orleans. It makes I me want to really, do more. Yeah, I, I went on a really, really good one in Edinburgh when I was there in college. Mm. Yeah, I've been on I've been on others. It's been a been a while, but yeah, I always like it for that. Yeah, it used to be one of those things I loved to do as like a little kid, um, not mm. super little, but like whatever, early teens or yeah. something. Um, but I hadn't. I have to say, like, I hadn't done one in quite a while, and now I'm like. Okay, I want to find more tours of New York because um, I've yeah. also seen people that do like not haunted, but like social justice focused tours and stuff, um, yeah. which are just like so interesting. There's so much history here and pretty much in, well, in literally any city. Um, yeah. And the lady in Greenpoint, I thought was really good about like adding in like gentrification and the, even the pandemic comes into it a little bit yeah. and like worker relations and immigration like all of these issues come into it without it being too heavy-handed on those things um mm-hmm. which uh, yeah is always very cool because yeah ghost stories are mostly like rooted in those anxieties or like systemic issues of that time yeah um, especially new orleans i mean holy crap the like levels of like racism and torture that yeah, are involved in those are, stories is insane yeah no yeah I love a love a ghost tour and yeah, yeah like sometimes it's like really dark but other mm-hmm. times it's like really silly mm-hmm. um I went to Austin City Limits last weekend mm. kind of on a whim because I had a couple friends in town uh, I wasn't gonna go and then I bought a three-day pass off somebody but oh man I'm just like seeing live music it's always so good mm. Like TBT to when we used to go to shows all the time in Nashville. Yeah. Um, yeah. You and I used to go to so many shows together. Yeah. And like I've missed it so much over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm still not really going to things regularly. But yeah, it was just really nice to see lots of people. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. Really fun. Saw some like people who put out more recent music like Noah Cyrus was so freaking mm-hmm. good. Amazing live 
Um, and then yeah. I saw like the, the chicks. That was like a huge nostalgia act for me to see. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that was that was really fun. Um, that's in our, our friend Steven Sesso was an, um, one of the audio engineers on Noah Cyrus's whole album. So all of the yes, like slide yeah. guitar and stuff on that is him, which is so cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. probably not on the like live versions, but still. Yeah. I was like, wait, was he there? And no, yeah, I, don't I, think I, so. I know he I know he worked on the album, which is always really yeah. cool. So be like, my friend helped make this. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that album is also just like really good. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, other than that, I've been like rewatching Doctor Who and just like old stuff. And I've been trying to cook more. So if anyone has any good fall recipes. Oh, yeah. Oh, always eternally trying to cook more. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to make something with squash soon. Yeah. Okay. It's happening. I yesterday with a friend I made um this really really cool. I actually didn't make it. She made it. Um, it was like a caprese salad, but instead of tomato, it was roasted acorn squash. Hmm. So like alternating, Yum. like acorn squash mozzarella with like basil, and then you can roast the seeds from the squash and put them over. With a little olive oil and like balsamic glaze. Yum. So good. Cause I honestly don't love tomatoes. I just, with Caprese, I'm just like, I just really <laughs> want the mozzarella, but I'll eat the tomatoes too. Right. As an excuse to just like eat large quantities of mozzarella. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for a recipe, so easy, but like so good. It's so like so fall too. Like also mm-hmm. I love tomatoes, but like transitioning from like the late fall peak tomatoes into like Yeah. But you could fall put tomatoes vegetables. in with that if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was just like, damn, that's so good. Yeah, squash. Love squash. <laughs> yeah, squash. On that note, should I do our socials? Yes. Um, so you can find us. All of our sources are on our website, worldisburning.com. Um, we have a lot of interesting stuff, so like definitely go on there, especially for this episode. Um, mm-hmm. We're on social media at World is Burning with no G on Twitter and Instagram, and at World is Burning with a G on TikTok. Um, you can also email us any show ideas you have, episode ideas, recommendations, whatever constructive criticism, all of that um, to our email World is Burning at World is Burning Pod at Gmail dot com. Um, mm-hmm. and we'll see you in the next episode. Halloween. Yeah, see you in the next spooky Halloween episode. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.